Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm discipleship pastor at Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is Kristen Wright Taylor. Uh, any regular listening to the show uh, would uh, not be uh, surprised to have uh, Kristen back on. Uh, she's been on a number of times, especially this year, as we've been marching through the psalm selections in the lectionary. We've only got a few weeks left doing these uh, psalms, but it's great to have her on because she just really understands how poetry works, both in our own ears now in English, uh, but also attuned to the way that the, the poetry of the psalms works. And so it's just so, so lovely to have her on again this week. So we are looking at Psalm 65 this week, Psalm 65 with Kristen Wright Taylor. As you're listening to the show today, if you're finding yourself enjoying it, uh, just press the share button on your podcast player app of choice, and you can pass this show along to others so that they will enjoy it as well. And if you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text, and you can see ways that you can support the show there. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Kristen. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, Psalm 65, go for it. What version did you say you had out again? The new messianic version. Okay. And cool. I liked this one because I like the way that they translate the names of God. Hmm. And actually I downloaded the, there was a guide as well to explain how they named God or why and what ways. And I didn't get a chance to read it as closely as I wanted to, but just reading the translation is really, is really interesting. Yeah. Maybe we'll take a look at that. Go for it though. All right. Psalm 65. To the heavenly worship leader, a psalm, sacred song about or to God, and song of David, beloved. Praise waits for you, O God Elohim, the living word, the many-powered, in Sion, lofty, and unto you shall the vow be performed. O you that hear prayer, unto you shall all flesh come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you shall purge them away. Blessed, favored by God, happy, prosperous, is the man whom you choose and cause to approach unto you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, even of your holy temple. By terrible things and righteousness will you answer us, O God Elohim, the living word, the many-powered of our salvation, who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of them that are far off upon the sea which by his strength sets fast the mountains, being girded with power, which stills the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the people. They also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at your tokens. You make the extreme limits of the morning and evening to rejoice. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it with the river of God Elohim, the living word, the many-powered, which is full of water. You prepare them corn when you have so provided for it. You water the ridges thereof abundantly. You settle the furrows thereof. You make it soft with showers. You bless the springing thereof. You crown the year with your goodness and your paths drop fatness. 
They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. Beautiful. The word of the Lord. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we ask now, O God, living word, uh, many-powered, that you would open our eyes to see this text that's before us, but also there with our hearts to the living word that's springing forth in our midst, so that uh, what Kristen and I have to say and share today would be an aid to those listening in as they uh, explore this word and listen for your living word in our midst. Uh, So God, do your thing. Be active among us by your spirit. We ask this all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So yeah, what jumps out at you in this passage? Uh, What captures your attention today? Well, the first thing that captured my attention is also always the form and how the form sort of follows the content. You know, I was reading from the new Messianic version on my phone, the Version Bible app, and it's it's not structured digitally like it is on the page in my new international version. So I'm just flipping to it here in my Bible because it's three, it looks like three long stanzas, I believe, or three kind of movements. And then I noticed how each movement is sort of dedicated to a different mending of relationships, it seemed to me. So like the first the first movement, yeah, it sort of looks like three long stanzas here in my Bible. So the first movement I noticed was God mending our relationship with him. And then the second movement, the imagery is around God mending our relationship with others outside of us. And then the third movement, struck me that the imagery struck me as God mending our relationship with the land, with the earth. And so there are different things that came out of that for me in each stanza and the imagery in each, but yeah, I'll just leave it at that for now. Yeah, there's definitely, I think that three stanza analysis is is pretty helpful. I was just trying to count the lines Hmm. in the Hebrew real quick. I mean, it runs about... Yeah, one, two, after the inscription, that first stanza really runs through like verse four, right? Yeah. So it'd be one, two, three, four, five. It'd be six lines uh-huh. of roughly equal length in Hebrew. And then the next stanza is what? Five through eight? Yes. Yeah. One, yep. two, three, four, five, six. How many did I say the first one was? Six. Okay. So that's six again. Okay. And then the last bit is 9 to 13, right? Correct. So, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and a little. It, it, the, oh, interesting. So, they're, okay. they're pretty close. I mean, the, the pattern breaks in the, in the last stanza just because the, the lines get a little longer. Mm-hmm. Well, just the second and the third line get a little longer, and then, they, then they're about the same length. So, I mean, just like visually, yeah. what you're seeing on the page and – in your NIV is is pretty close to what you'd see even in the Hebrew, kind of rough, roughly equal sized three chunks of six somewhere, just around four or five words, about five words each line. Okay. I mean, you don't count words. Poetry doesn't work like that. It's not math. It's rhythm, but oh, it can. <laughs> I mean, it, it can it is count math, words. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the sound. It's the sound, right? So, like, yeah, yeah. It's not always, you know, it's the 
the beats, you know, the, uh-huh. a foot, uh-huh. right? Isn't that what it's called? In right, right, so, yes. Uh huh. And a foot might be two a words. Meter, a foot, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, no, that analysis seems spot on. And you're right. There is kind of a, yeah, the first one, you know, seems really clear statement about, yeah, actually the the name of God appears Hmm. once each stanza, no? Yeah. um, Does it appear in the last one? The streams of God. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the, that's. Verse nine. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Pra- God, Elo- due to you, Elohim. Elohim, the living word, the many powered. That's the way this NMV translated God Elohim. Mm-hmm. Is that track with your version? It's yeah, I mean Elohim's the that's the word that appears there. It's the plural, you know, word God, you know. Okay. Uh, but then with with singular verbs, so you know it's it's just a it's an honorific plural, as it were. So, okay. See, that's interesting because it did. I noticed there was a pronoun. It used a plural pronoun when referring to God. I don't remember which verse that was in now. So I love that that plurality. It's capturing the plurality of God. My hunch is the 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 many powered phrase mm-hmm. in your translation is trying to suggest that mm. uh, plurality of majesty, as it's sometimes referred to. Now, if you have like, if you have plural verbs, because the verbs have their endings, uh-huh. then you know it's talking about like the gods, right? Other right, right, gods, right. idols, whatnot, you know, the gods of the yeah. nations or the angels or heavenly beings or whatnot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I didn't, I, I saw the three stanza. I didn't see the name. Yeah, it's repeated in the first or the second line of each stanza. No, first or second line of each. So it, it appears. At the beginning of each stanza. Yeah, early on, early on. Yeah, which to me says, you know, that placement says Elohim is the beginning of all of these mended relationships, right? Like the starting place of the mended relationships with him, with others, with the land. Yeah, I see the form sort of mimicking the the meaning there too. Yeah, so I see the the with him in the opening section mm-hmm. of, of prayer Praise, vows, forgiveness, mm. blessing, choosing. I see all that. And I definitely see the turn to the land in nine. And that's so clear, the focus there. The middle section is the one that's a little less clear to me. Talk to me. What were you thinking when you said the the others thing there? Yeah, I guess. So it was around verse seven, which stills the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the people. I can see now how probably I imbued a different meaning in that now that I look at it more close. So in NIV, it says who still the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves and the turmoil of the nations. So, okay. Yeah. So I guess I wouldn't say relationship with others, but I see that external, right? Like people are stirred up. The nations are stirred up. There's a storm and God is. So I guess in that way, I, I was thinking of it as more of an external facing kind of restitution or restoration. So yeah, there's like no, the internal, yeah. but maybe that's not, I'm pro- maybe I'm giving more meaning to that than it actually is. No, I think it's great. So, I mean, the nations or the peoples, plural yeah. in seven, imply, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you have the, you know, the chosen ones in mm-hmm. verse four, mm-hmm. right? And all this talk of the temple, that definitely implies a kind of reference to the people of God to Israel. Right, mm, mm-hmm. and so the yeah. language of the nations or the peoples—it is—it is probably peoples would be the, mm-hmm. uh, but it's yeah, it's uh, 
umim, you know, to the peoples, not the goyim, not not Gentiles in the strict sense. Uh, so it could include yeah, yeah. it could yeah. include the people of Israel as well, but it's it's uh. definitely more expansive, like you said. Uh, and the okay. reference to the to the awesome deeds of righteousness. I mean, this is God and the God as salvation or savior. So this does imply the intervention of God on behalf of his people in the face of external threat. So I think, I think that's spot on. Although yeah, it also I, has creation kind of imagery. It does. And I, like yeah. I couldn't help, but immediately my mind went to Mark four where Jesus, you know, is in the boat and he, you know, stills the waves and stills the sort of the tumult in the, the hearts of the disciples too. So that's not so much an external relational thing. That's an, that's an internal thing too. And I don't know if that's a right, like just immediately that connection clicked for me when I was reading that verse. Yeah. That Jesus comes and does this bodily in the new Testament, what God is doing in the world here in this poem. You who stilled the roaring of the waves or the roaring of the seas and the roaring of their waves. I mean, that's like almost a perfect caption under a, a painting of Mark four, right? <laughs> like yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> you know, what manner of man is this that even the, the wind the and the waves obey him, right? Obey him. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's, it's strange. Cause I mean, when you were first reading through, there was like a, for like a, for a second, I was, I was wondering if there was, and it could be some kind of, parting of the Red Sea kind of imagery here only because of the nations and, you know, deeds of righteousness. But then that's more, he's like, you know, he's actually sort of stirring up the waves. I mean, it's the same power that God has over water in creation. I feel like the the imagery is hails back to even the original creation story in Genesis one, which doesn't have him, doesn't have him making the, the waters, the waters are kind of already there as this like abyss, this chaos yes, that God yeah. triumphs over and gives order to. What is that called? Tohu and Bohu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The formless and void. Yeah, yeah. yes. But then the weird twist is that 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 turmoil of the of peoples. The nations. Yeah. 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 Which implies that it could be that that power he has over creation is hmm. sort of, he's drawing on that as he protects the people or, you know, brings the nations to justice, that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. It's doubling like all good poetry does. Yeah. It's kind of- I mean, I, I guess now I'm wondering if this is really talking about the chaos, the tohu and the bohu of our heart and the turmoil of the nations, like the turmoil of the people, like it says here in the the NMV, the tumult of the people, like doesn't the tumult come from a tumultuous heart, right? Like our actions are, the heart is the wellspring of our actions and our words. So I wonder if like, is there room to read into this? So like the first movement is God mending the relationship between us and him, forgiving our sins, making, you know, salvation, making it right. And then he stills the storms and the tumult in our hearts. This harkens to that, you know, Mark 4 story. It harkens back to the creation where he like stills the chaos and brings order. He can bring order to our hearts, to our lives. And then he comes and brings order to the land. I don't know. Am I reading too much into that? No. Well, of course. I mean, <laughs> Psalms invite that, right? I mean, I, su- I suppose one way you could say is, I mean, I think the movement works perfectly to say maybe, like, I think everything you're saying seems spot on to me, this kind of, for lack of a better term, a kind of vertical relationship between the human and God, and then these more horizontal relationships between, 
you could say in and among humans, mm. right? So then it's both internal, but also external. Cause I, th- I think there is something because the reference to the nations or the peoples right. in seven and those who live far away. That's true. Yeah. Yep. Uh, in eight right. imply this kind of something more expansive. Mm-hmm. I think it's simultaneous. And then there's that reference to joy there at the end of eight. And then also joy at the end of nine, yes. too, which that struck me like that's whenever you have a parallel image like that in poetry you're supposed to pay attention so Mm -hmm. there's something happening here what do you think like why so the joy is that in in verse eight the joy is in relationship to they also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at your tokens that's an interesting word token why that translation i wonder what does it say in the original what's the verse there again for that verse eight they also that dwell and the uttermost parts are afraid at your tokens. Yeah. So, metoteka. Metoteka. Oh, that's a big word. I don't know that word. In the NIV, it says wonders. Yeah. So, I mean, signs. Most of the places it appears. So, it's, I mean, we're looking at 79 times in the Old Testament. Hmm. And... In terms of just like, not that the first use is always definitive, but it's yeah. familiar. Genesis one fourteen, when he makes the sun, moon, and stars, and then they function as signs for the seasons and days, right? Oh, so yes. that wouldn't yeah. be the only, but so signs and markers. Okay. Yeah. So I think wonders, it could be saying when God intervenes on behalf of his people, again, you can think of Egypt or you can think of his protection of the people in any of their battles with all these nations over the years, then you'd think wonders, right? Things, yeah, yeah. Wondrous things he's done. But then the phrase to morning dawns and evening fades in the next line makes me think that these might be referencing saying, okay, yeah, you're, again, opening one through verses one through four is kind of all about the chosen people, but then saying, and yet all these other nations also exist under your creative authority and sovereignty. Yeah. Under your signs. Yep. So they're, they're under the same sun, moon, and stars. Oh, beautiful. Maybe. Okay. Um, Again, there's lots of sign. I mean, the word sign appears again and again and again. It's always this token or sign or marker of something. So, but since here we don't, it doesn't tell us what the, what yeah. it's a marker of, we have to kind of fill that in. And my only right. hunch would be the the reference of morning and evening sure does sound like. Yes. Yeah. Sounds like creation language, you know, uh, sun and sun and moon. Well, and it's just so funny, like now the modern sort of English connotations of tokens and wonders, it makes me laugh a little bit because when I think of tokens, I, you know, you think of like the little tokens you use at the um, arcade or something, right? They're not worth a whole lot. They're just little, you know, this, the funny image came to me, like, we look at these things, they're wonders. We're in awe of them. And for God, they're just tokens. They're just small. Like, they're just little things. <laughs> that's fun. You can do. <laughs> well, and that's definitely the emphasis in Genesis 1, where, I mean, that's, it's polemical, you know, it's saying like, uh-huh, oh, uh-huh. all those other nations who think the sun, moon, and stars are gods. Yeah. These, it's are, just, just, these are just God's clocks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And they're even made on the fourth day. Like there's already light. Like he doesn't even need these for light. Light is somehow some deeper yeah. reality. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Like 
the first four verses are about that relationship of the chosen with God. And yet, even those who have yet to be brought into that relationship, but will be invited into that relationship, still live under God's signs and wonders and tokens and are still in awe of it. They live far away. Fear your wonders and are afraid of your tokens. Like they, they clock it, right? They clock God's tokens and something in them resonates, something in them responds, whether or not they are fully established in a right relationship with the creator. Yeah. You make the outgoings of the morning and the evening to rejoice. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, again, the NIV says you call forth songs of joy, which is trying to, I think, explain that maybe this, the evening and the morning are, are sort of inviting joyful praise from human beings. And that's possible. Although we have from other Psalms, pretty explicit references to just the created order praising God, right? Yes. So it could just be the morning and evening are singing the praise, right? Well, and then at the end where we see joy come up again, it's the grain and the mantle or the, the, exactly that are giving, that are singing for joy, right? So creation is, which that makes me think of back to verse one, where it says praise awaits you. Elohim. So like the praise is laying and it's already there before God has entered the room, right? Before God. So I don't know why that, like that all tracks for me, that idea of like the praise, the joy, it awaits, it's there, it's lying in wait. And then Elohim calls it forth. It's at his, yeah, his fingertips. I think that what you just said there is the strongest argument against the NIV and NLT's choice of translating eight as if it's human beings Mm. responding to the creation, because it's kind of saying, no, creation is going to praise them whether the humans do or not. It doesn't falsify that there's also the invitation for humans to praise. It doesn't feel like the emphasis of the Psalm. The Psalm's kind of saying it's going to, he's getting praised either way. Yeah. Yeah. It's lying in wait and he just summons it forth. Yeah. I mean, still to this day, there are few things that we regard more as, a sort of divine act of beautification than a sunrise and a sunset, right? It's always like, oh, this thing, this beautiful thing God's making. Mm -hmm. And if no one's looking at it, he's still enjoying it. He's praised by it. We're invited to 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 join the praise. Yeah. Yeah, Well, and I remember a sermon long ago from college church, the pastor was preaching about space, like all the beautiful images of space that we see. And there's no one there to enjoy it until we you know what I mean? Except for God. God's already sitting and enjoying it, right? It's already singing his praises before we ever knew it was there. Yeah. And so we're just joining in. Yeah. Oh man, that's really good. Well, let's let's take a quick break and come back and explore this some more. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Kristen Wright Taylor, and we're looking at Psalm 65. How about I read it again so it's fresh in our ears, and then we'll zoom in on the that last stanza since we focus more on the middle stanza. I mean, just for funsies, I've got my King James out here. Let's rock the King James. Do you, you know, know what? I looked up King James because honestly, oh, like all the I have issues, my issues with King James, but of course, it is yeah. a very poetic translation. And so when I'm reading Psalms, sometimes I like to go to the King James. It's funny you bring that up. I almost never consult the authorized version except in the Psalter. And then I almost always do because it's like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, these guys knew what they were doing when it came to the rhythms. I mean, even just visually, when I look at the King James, it always has a sense of 
lines because it just tries to be as, as tries to use as few words as possible. Yeah. Cause it doesn't do a lot of explaining it just kind of lets the imagery just stand. So, all right, here goes Psalm 65 to the chief musician, a Psalm and song of David praise waiteth for thee. O God in Zion and unto thee shall the vow be performed. O thou that hearest prayer unto thee shall all flesh come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, they shall purge them away. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. By terrible things in righteousness wilt thou answer us, O God of salvation who art the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of them that are far off upon the sea, which by his strength setteth fast the mountains, being girded with power, which stilleth the noise of the sea, the noise of their waves and the tumult of the people. They also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at thy tokens. Thou makest the outgoings of the morning and evening to rejoice. Thou visiteth the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settleth the furrows thereof. Thou make it soft with showers. Thou blessest, blessest the springing thereof. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy paths drop fatness. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So, yeah, he visits the water, and visits the earth, and brings the water. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Enriching yeah. the water from, the wiv- from this river of God, which, what that exactly is, is a little... I don't know, but it's a beautiful image. Especially because the waters in the previous stanza are presented more as either literally or figuratively, or perhaps both literally and figuratively functioning as more of a threat, right? yeah. the roaring, the, the, the noise, the danger. And yet then there's this shift where the waters all of a sudden become this gift of God. Mm-hmm. The source of life. Yeah. So I guess kind of how waters work in just the natural world. I mean, they, yeah, yeah. they're both this source of great threat and yet mm-hmm. the very source of life mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's so good. Yeah. I, as I was reading this, I was thinking about that um, sort of mended relationships idea and the movement of the relationships throughout this Psalms and this idea of the way in which God blesses the land and then how that changes the relationship of the worshipers with the land. And always, whenever I think about 
the earth and our relationship with it. I think about the indigenous peoples uh, here in Canada. We talk a lot about that. That's probably the primary focus of our racial reconciliation conversations here. And so I've had the opportunity to do uh, some studying around that and reading, and it's truly so beautiful. I, I don't think there's any other culture in North America that embodies so fully what it means to live at peace and at one with the earth as the indigenous peoples. And um, there are lots of different religions, not all religions, you know, in the indigenous nations speak of a creator, um, but some do. And um, it's just, it's really beautiful. Anyway, I was thinking of Richard Wagamese, who's one of my favorite writers. He is Anishinaabe, or the settler name is Ojibwe. Um, but anyway, I was just reading some of his writing and it reminded me of this psalm, like seeing the land through his eyes reminded me of what the psalmist is singing about here. And so I thought I might just read a couple of his sections from his book. Yeah, as we think about this third movement in Psalm 65, there's a poem called The Land is a Feeling. And he writes, Sitting beside the fire in this winsome river valley, the mountains seem to enfold you as deeply as the night. Against the sky, they become a single purple smudge atop the shadowed apex of pine and poplar. The river gurgle snakes through the sharp crackle of the fire just long enough to remind you where the real power lies. It's a feeling I've come to recognize as home. And then he has another little excerpt here. Sunlight spills over the mountain like a newfound joy. There is the sparkle for the symphony of the sky as glassine blue and shimmering on the placid face of the lake. Birdsong, life energy reawakening all around you. So I just, I think the reason why I made the connection is speaking about the water and the river of God here. And he writes about the river gurgle snakes through the sharp crackle of the fire. And he talks about the, you know, sunlight spills over the mountain like a newfound joy, right? Which is what um, we read in the Psalm about the, the morning and the evening rejoicing, right? So. Oh, it's absolutely it beautiful. Moving. Yeah. And that, that connection, that direct connection to the land or the earth, the yeah. Eretz in Hebrew. Hmm is so central to the life and thought and language of ancient Israel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so, it's so integral to, to all of their thinking and, and continuing on even in the later parts of, of the ancient period when, you know, Jesus shows up and those stories that are foundational in the Christian community, just this deep anxiety about the presence of, colonizers, the yeah. Romans in the yeah. land and yeah. the, the desecration that that is and the alienation yeah. from the land that comes with that, yeah. as well as the distance from the land, because the vast majority of the Jewish people by that time were living not inside Palestine, but be outside yeah. already at the time of Jesus, mm-hmm. um, spread out all over the Mediterranean and in Babylon and Persia and all these other places. And this kind of alienation from the land by way of dislocation outside or by way of desecration within by way of settlers colonizers empire right so just that both the in the classic texts like in the psalms and then as these psalms would have been sung with pain in the heart 
after exile and even mm. return from exile and the you know imperial powers over them over so many centuries mm-hmm. and often christian reading mm-hmm. doesn't know what to do with the land and wants to yes. find some kind of like metaphorical significance and Again, that's not wrong to reach for that at some point, but not in a way that denies that when they talk about the land, they're talking about the actual land, (laughs) you know, (laughs) the very specific rivers and fields where they live and work and that that are our sustenance. And for those of us whose work is often less directly attuned to the land, we're still in it and reliant upon it for everything that we at the very least eat and where we travel. And so just that kind of land ignorance, land ignoring, which has become so central to kind of modern Christianity. Honestly, it's an encounter encounter with indigenous peoples is sometimes the only way Mm -hmm. for uh, some of us to kind of like see it again in our own, in our own stinking documents that we've sung a thousand times, but we can't, we just kind of get blinded to it. I agree. I agree so wholeheartedly. And, and I think this, this part of the Psalm for me, reminds me that I am reading cross-culturally, that I am not the original speaker or audience for this. I really appreciate the invitation and just hearing you talk about it. I feel the invitation again to like really stop and not just write this off as a metaphor, but to really encounter what does it mean? I mean, it's in the Holy Scriptures, right? God is, this is a powerful relationship that God is mending, just like he's mending our relationship with him, the relationship with our own hearts. And yeah, I think it deserves a moment of reflection and consideration on my part, right? As someone who is a settler, as a colonizer, right? Um, I can't just wish away that heritage, right? And and I found that to be true. I think last time I was on the podcast, you and I talked about there is an indigenous version of the New Testament that's just been translated. And it is striking how close the indigenous peoples and their many cultures are closer to, I think, culturally to the original worshipers here of the Psalms than we are. And, and so... That's really striking when you read that version. And then when I read this and I, you know, here in Psalm 65 and I read Richard Wagamese, I see that again. And I'm reminded that I need to maybe stop a little bit and step outside of my ethnocentricity when I'm reading the Psalm, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so in a way, maybe that saying, recognizing the cross-cultural as well as kind of just the sheer sort of foreignness of the text might actually bring us back to maybe an, a different way of reading the opening stanza mm. where we just rightly, I think, cause this is where we need to end up mm. is to see ourselves in those opening lines mm-hmm. as the ones being forgiven as the chosen ones who dwell in the house. Mm-hmm. But actually it might be helpful to pause and not run to that mm-hmm. and see ourselves actually as a lot more members of, the nations and those dwelling in farthest parts across seas, quite literally across the sea from the land. So this is, this is about the earth in general, yeah. but it's also about the literal land of Palestine, right? Yeah. Where the, wow. the, where the chosen people were, that's the land that they know and see and speak of. Mm-hmm. And the river of God may be referring to the Jordan river, like an actual river. Mm. Uh, it's possible. I mean, we don't know mm-hmm. for sure, but to actually like kind of pause and say, Okay, actually, 
at a second step hmm. by God's grace. This is why Jesus really matters to the reading of the Psalms yes. for Christians, not because we read him into it, but because he reads us into it as it were, uh, right? It's yes. like, okay, yes. through his, through his Jewish flesh and messi- messiahship, mm-hmm. we can participate in these opening lines. But at first glance, these are, these are foreign. This, these vows are the vows of Leviticus. These prayers are the prayers of Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. iniquities and transgressions that are being forgiven are those being forgiven by way of the sacrificial system of <laughs> Israel, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, just for them. And blessed is the one you choose mm-hmm. and cause to reproach and uh, cause to approach you and dwell in your courts. Yeah. In your holy temple. This is all the language of Israel. These are the, this is the chosen nation. Yeah. yeah. In which we're included. And one of the things I've been learning so much is to kind of recognize how much of a guest I am. Yes. In the Psalms then helps me with then a relation with other communities. I mean, at first it can kind of sound like, oh, I'm being exclusionary by emphasizing Israel. But it's only exclusionary if I emphasize Israel and then say, that's me, right? But I'm not <laughs> saying, no, I too am outsider. Yeah. Uh, and all our all flesh will come, right? We're all being invited into this special Absolutely. relationship that Israel has with God. Absolutely. And I think it doesn't, for me, it doesn't diminish it. In a way, it our eventual inclusion through Christ, this feels like such an amazing gift, such an awesome gift to be added back in. I love that image of like being a guest in the house of the Israelites. And again, I'm reminded of part of the work I do in higher ed. I was sharing with you that I work at a writing center at a university. And um, one of the services that I offer is I go over to the indigenous student center and I sit there once a week for two hours to just meet with whatever students walk through the door that want help with their writing. That space is an indigenous space. It is not a settler white space. And I feel it and I know it the minute I walk in. That's the whole point of it. The whole point of it is to be there for the indigenous students so that they can feel at home because the rest of the time, And the rest of the parts of campus, they're the outsider, right? They're the guest. And it's flipped when I go into the Indigenous Student Center. They've got their their smudging things there. They've got their teas. They've got the spaces made for them. Their conversations that they're having, you know, are not conversations that I should be privy to or I am privy to. But for me as someone who has grown up as a missionary kid and a third culture kid, that feeling is very familiar, right? Of like being in a space that's culturally not yours. It doesn't diminish the gift that God has given us through Christ, right? That we are brought in. I think that it's actually really good for us sometimes to not be the center of things and to allow ourselves to be the guest, right? Like to be in the space that actually culturally isn't ours because it expands us. It expands our empathy. It allows us to see ourselves from a new perspective and to see the work that Christ has done on the cross for us in a new perspective. I mean, I know it can be unsettling and it can feel threatening. But I think if we have the courage to sort of let go of that need for control or comfort or certainty and to let ourselves be the guest in the house of Israel here and uh, read ourselves as the outsider in this space, I I think it only enhances the immense sense of gratitude and praise and joy that we get to be read into it now through Christ. 
Yeah, and the beauty is like the whole the whole structure of the psalm is inclusive by way of again this middle stanza that we started our attention on, right? Mm. To kind of say like we are in in this psalm, we're the tumult of the peoples and those <laughs> dwelling in the farthest parts, right? <laughs> Over across the sea, away yeah. from the land as as the 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 holy land of mm-hmm. the people. Mm-hmm. And but then to see that even in that opening stanza, there's allusions to these inclusions, the all flesh will come. Yep. You know, yep, that's right. You know, and the the blessed of those who are drawn in and the satisfied, actually the line, uh, this line in verse four, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. And then towards the end of the Psalm, verse 11, you crown the year with your goodness. You get Mm -hmm. that goodness repeated Mm -hmm. the first time in the kind of context of the temple worship. But then at the end, it's just this more universal, anyone who, enjoys the fruits of the earth, yeah. you know, crowning the year that I, I assume this is just talking about fall, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, the year, you know, the year wraps up with harvest and here comes yes. your goodness. Yeah. So we're all, we're all beneficiaries of the goodness of God just yes. by being creatures. But then this, spe- the special blessing of those chosen to be drawn in, mm-hmm. you know, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Hey, well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Kristen Wright-Taylor. And yeah, usually we explore some sermon starters in our last segment. And Chris and I both were kind of like, yeah, we don't, I don't know if we have anything. I think we've said everything <laughs> we want to say, but let's just take a moment and see, you know, I mean, if you were being called upon to preach on this text, the text that had already been selected, you know, maybe someone, maybe you're filling in for someone. That's always how I like to frame it. You know, where might you go? How might you shape the sermon in a way that would invite them into maybe some mm. of the themes we've discussed today. Any thoughts about that? Well, I think if, you know, if I were giving this sermon next week, the part that probably would stand out the most to me would be God who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves and the tumult of the nations. I feel like we're in a pretty tumultuous time. Probably people are feeling a lot of tumult. So I might choose that as my entry point uh, into the sermon somehow with a story or a anecdote. But I also really love the I love the work we did around that that third movement of talking about the land and earth, and that also feels really pertinent to the moment we're in. And it's fall too, which is a mm. particularly beautiful time where nature and creation are are rejoicing and singing songs of joy. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, you're right about the. I mean, I'm pretty sure eleven is a kind of fall harvest kind of line. You know, crown your year with goodness. I wonder if maybe this is too cheesy, but I'll I'll throw it out there because we're not far off from Yom Kippur and Day of Atonement, which of which there was language, there was some reference there in the in the first section, the purging away of the transgressions in in three. That word could be translated atonement there. So I mean, this is that that language. I do wonder if there's a just a, a quite literally a fall sermon kind of hiding in this text, just waiting for us, you know? Yeah. Where one, and, and that phrase, that crowning the year with the goodness, I do wonder if there's a kind of looking back mm-hmm. and which includes remembering mm. the tumults of the year as well. 
right. and the raging yeah. of the nations. I mean, quite literally, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, international conflict that's kind of loomed over us all year Yes, in Ukraine, but in other places as well. That's just the one that's, that's right. kind of in the news the most. That's um, right. And to kind of look back upon that, but also to be able to kind of, I think ending with the land here is really powerful, you know, to be able to, I mean, again, the three movements are so natural to be able to look back and say, okay, are there sins I need forgiveness for to kind of have a moment of confession and, and repentance and receiving that forgiveness. And then in the middle section, the kind of recognition that there's a lot that's raging in this whole world that we're in. And yet to recognize that God is the creator over all of that, despite that. But then to end with this kind of very positive turn to the land, it's going to say that even in the face of all that, here's the cycle of the earth continuing to feed us and restore yes. us. Yeah, that'd be a good Thanksgiving sermon. Yeah, it does feel that, doesn't it? It feels yeah. very, the imagery invites this time of year, you know. Yeah, that sort of reflection. The, yeah, the reflection and and yeah, Thanksgiving, gratitude, joy. Yeah, I'm ashamed that I don't know this off the top of my head, but I'm going to try to see what when Yom Kippur was this year. It was October 4th and 5th, right in that season, you know. So what does it mean to look back over the year and do a refl- do a mm-hmm. do the equivalent of like an examine prayer, but for mm-hmm. a whole year? Right? Oh, I love it. Looking yep. back over a general examine as it, as it used to be called not just the particular examine of my day or the particular thing that I'm thinking about, but just zooming out and reflecting on the whole year as it comes to a close, where were some failures, where are some fears where I need to be reminded of God's authority. That's right. Yeah. And then where's the abundance Mm -hmm. in the face of all of that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And the abundance and, you know, as a, you know, the reality and the manifestation of God's provision through all of it. The failures, the fears, and the feast. That's, that's, oh, you that like is that? So good. <laughs> I was. I thought it was a little cheesy, but I'm glad you liked it. You made me feel better about myself. Oh, maybe I'm cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm easily. I'm well, easily I mean, you know, impressed. too many sermons. Too many sermons are three points. Having said that, the three point sermon has. I think we've been too hard on, and sometimes three points is really nice. <laughs> it's really nice as a you know as a as a parishioner just sitting there. So it's really nice, yeah. And it really does. I mean, it really is three equal size stanzas. So I do kind of feel that one of the ways that a sermon can a sermon doesn't always have to follow the form of a text. Although with Psalms, it's there's something lost when you don't, and that's a cost that sometimes you have to be willing to pay for the clarity of a sermon that wants to go in. And, particular direction. But uh, in this case, there is something to be said about giving equal time to each of these stanzas. And sometimes a a multi-point sermon is the only way to kind of keep that balance in place, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the reality of the, the feast is the antidote to the failures and the fear, right? Like just the goodness of God, but what helps in the middle of your failures, in the middle of our fear, what a beautiful gift that even in the middle of all of that, like God knows exactly what speaks to our heart and that provision, that feast, that beauty, right? Is a solve to the soul when you failed, is a solve to the soul when you're afraid. Yeah. So like verse 10, right? The softening of the land. I mean, there's something about actually like how the 
earth after the summer when it gets a, a little dry and stiff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when you walk on the grass in October, it's a little more squishy. <laughs> this yeah. is a very little just literal description of the yeah. reality. And to see that as a gift of God, that every time, you know, this very week, when you feel that softness on the ground, you mm. know? Oh, yeah. And maybe this beautiful. is a good week to not only use the sidewalk, but to actually step and feel how the ground's a little just a little softer and then hearing in that some invitation to be softened ourselves a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's good enough. It's just a sermon starter. It's not a whole sermon, but it's a starter. I was, I, that was, I felt like a sermon to me. <laughs> well, you and you and I like short little sermons, you know, but we didn't yeah. grow up with that though. We grew up with the long ones. So that's oh, just a starter. Word. for yes, the- <laughs> yeah. Well, and like growing up, on the mission field, I went. I grew up in Black Church, and it was like three hours long. So, yeah. three points, <laughs> one point per hour. Yeah. <laughs> well, now you're hanging out in Church of Canada, right? Where your sermons are what three minutes? No, <laughs> yeah, it's like a one hour flat. We're in and out this the whole the- service, right? Yeah. yeah, I'm not complaining. No, I know <laughs> you're not. <laughs> it's what you dig now. Yeah. Well, this could take lots of different forms, but that's at least something to explore. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks so much, Kristen. Appreciate the time you gave to the text and to our listeners this uh, this week. It's great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Lovely. Yeah, thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this show without you guys. Thanks to Tom for the theme music. Uh, we appreciate you donating that. And uh, thanks to all our listeners and especially our supporters. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see ways there that you can support the show. With that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.